try not to look at clocks around here too much, but uh, oh. I'm excited to share with you this morning. Uh, if you're a visitor here, uh, first of all, I want to apologize. I, I meant to, it was on my mind to get up and kind of walk you through our service a little bit because I know we do some things uh, differently than other churches. And so when we visit places and uh, sometimes some of it can be confusing and I meant to walk you through that and I'm sorry, but just the Miss Betty on my heart just got me too and I've just kind of derailed. Um, so apologies for that. Um, but as a church, we have been uh, going, we're reading the Bible through in a year together as a church. And we make people do it. No, we don't. Um, you know, we've just been offering that out there, trying to like, and we're going through it chronologically. And the whole idea is just trying to take a step back because the Bible is full of incredible things. And there's, there's stories and lessons to be learned. But if we don't understand the big picture of God, it's really hard sometimes to get those small little nuggets in the right place. And it's easy to take them and turn them into something they were never meant to be. And they end up being life lessons instead of spiritual lessons. And we attach them to things and we turn, again, we just, just our own nature, just the way we work through things sometimes. We end up taking stories like David and Goliath, right? And, we, and we've talked about that one and how, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? And that's, that's a little tangent you could run off that story, but really there's a lot more to that story than that. And so we've been just kind of digging through and processing through the entirety of the Bible Kind of from a 30,000-foot view is what we've been doing. And so you're jumping in with us today where we are. And so thank you for being here. Uh, we're excited. Uh, love, love the story we're going to be covering today. Um, it's going to be found in Second Chronicles. We're going to be almost there the entire time. I got one other passage somewhere else, but that's it. I'm going to be starting in chapter 33 of Second Chronicles. And so uh, if you got your Bibles and you want to flip over there, we put the scriptures up on the screen too if you want to follow along and read. There, you're more than welcome to. So I'm going to open with the word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, just thank you again uh, that we can be here, God, together. Thank you for your word. Lord, I love this story today because it began uh, with a king who was after you. Lord, who just had a heart to seek you. And in seeking you, discovers your word. And in reading your word, brings about revival for a nation. God, we just sang this song. It was so fitting, Father. Um, We'd love to see revival, God. But revival starts with repentance. And sometimes it's real hard, God, to, to humble ourselves, to die to ourselves, to surrender our pride, and cry out to you, God. And I pray, Lord, that we're listening to the words you would have us here this morning. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you that we can gather as your church God, help us to live this out, to not just be hearers, but doers of the word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I was kind of thinking just, you know, to answer the question, I try to back up every once in a while and just process through what we're doing. I was like, why are we doing this? Um, and the answer is because we want to be a biblical church, you know, and I know I've been around this, I've been around this a long time now, and uh, everybody doesn't see eye to eye on scripture, right? Of course not. Uh, we're human beings, and we read it, and you know, and and sometimes there's some tricky passages, and there's things that are difficult to to understand and interpret. But we want to be a biblical church because the Word of God changes lives, absolutely. Uh, it changes lives. Now, there's there's kind of a little caveat to that because 
you can read the Bible with the wrong heart. It's real easy to do. You know, you can read the Bible with your own agenda. You can read the Bible. And I'm not saying at that point it doesn't do anything, but the heart of the Christian is to long to know God because we love God. It goes back to what Jesus said is the greatest commandment, right? To love uh, the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We want to know God, so therefore we want to read His Word in light of that, that we get to know Him in the context of a relationship. And so we've been watching these kings, man. So uh, just to catch you up, the nation of Israel has split in half, and there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and there's all these kings that have been uh, coming into place. And so we've been seeing these generational shifts and it's crazy. You'll have one king that's just pure evil and doing terrible things, and then the next king kind of wakes up and gets people back on track. And so we've kind of been bouncing back and forth. But in the north, uh, we, we, when we kind of land this plane on all these kings, there will end up being 20 different kings in the northern kingdom, and not one of them was good. Not one. Man, they just struggled time after time after time uh, with these kings. And in the south, there were 19 kings, I believe, and 12 of them were bad. You know, but they did at least have some reprieve in there. And so last week we talked about King Hezekiah a little bit and how he, he kind of turned things around. He had a heart for the Lord, and so uh, he wanted to do the things of God, and so he did. And so the nation kind of had this reprieve moment where they woke up and they followed God's statutes and rules and commandments, and things were good for a minute. But he had a son, and his name was Manasseh. <laughs> and Manasseh was not a good king, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things, you know, we, like, we, we already went through Proverbs, but we talked about Proverbs had a, has a lot of truisms. It has a lot of uh, statements in Proverbs that people sometimes project into prophetic truth. That, oh, Proverbs said it, so if you do this, this is exactly how it's going to turn out. And that's not true. You know, Proverbs is a, hey, here's a lot of wisdom. And if you follow this, here's how things probably are going to turn out. Not guaranteed, but probably, Right? And, and Proverbs talks about if you raise a child upright, they're going to follow. That's not always true, right? <laughs> yeah, parents start laughing. That's not always true, all right? Um, because at some point, for all of us, we have to make a choice. Every single person is going to have to make a choice, and that choice is, hey, I'm going to believe in Jesus or not. Even my kids, your kids, everybody, right? And we can do our best, and, and again, the Bible says, hey, if you're doing this, you know, the, the chances are a lot greater that they're going to follow. But if you're not, man, the chances are also greater that they're not. But every single person isn't going to follow Jesus just because their parents did. So here we are. Here's Manasseh, and, he, and he's the king, and, uh, and he's, man, this joker's evil, man. He's not, just, he's not just evil, man. He's like, what did God say? And then he goes and wants to do the exact opposite on purpose, intentionally going against the commandment of God. So if God's like, you know, don't jump in the water, he's going to jump in the water. That's what he's going to do. And it's almost like he's provoking God's anger on purpose. He's not afraid. He's just going to do what he does. And he wants to break this covenant with God. And, and I'm sitting here reading this. I'm like, how in the world would, I mean, why would he do this? Like he saw his father and like what happened and, but not for him. And the truth is, is because it's our default setting right? This is why I talk so much about being in the present today and fighting the battle today, because the, the Bible's super clear about our flesh even, our bodies are enemies to God. That's why we have to have 
uh, salvation through Jesus and the Holy Spirit because our flesh is an enemy to God. And so it stands in contrast in nature and it wants to rebel against God. That's our natural setting. That's our default. It's what we go to. If we're not walking in the Spirit, it's what we go to. Check, check. We just check out on the things of God. And then we got the world, right? And the world's on board with your flesh. Like, yes, they'll cheer you on in your rebellion, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't need God and you don't need his rules and you don't need to follow his ways. And so your flesh is already leaning for this and then the world's cheering you on. And we ain't even talked about Satan who's running around like a roaring lion trying to pounce on you, right? Just looking for a foothold. I just, I went back to my office and uh, there's a yellow jacket in there. And I was going to kill it earlier, and I didn't. And it flew into a spider web. And the spider and the yellow jacket, when I was back there, are fighting. Yeah. And the yellow jacket's stinging the spider, and he retreats. And then he comes down, and he bites. And I'm watching this. I'm like, what in the world is happening? And that's it. When we're out there alone, that's exactly what Satan's doing to us. And we try to fend him off, man. You were never meant to be alone. We're supposed to be walking in the Spirit, man. We're supposed to be staying connected to the Lord. And then we're supposed to have each other's back. And we talk about this often, but we end up hiding in our lives and closing our door. And you can't come in my house and see my dirty dishes and my dirty laundry because I have a perfect home. And we walk with the Lord and we never struggle. And that's kind of the image we end up trying to project. And what a joke, because none of us do it. We all are big messes. And we're struggling and we need each other. God designed it that way. He designed it that way. That's why when he calls us the temple, he's not referencing you as your own little temple. I mean, he is, but there's, a, there's an element to that of together, brick by brick, we're the temple. We're the body of Christ. We are supposed to be in relationship. And so Manasseh is corrupt, and he has this big rebellion thing, and, uh, and it ends up God has mercy on him through some consequences. It's pretty neat. In 2 Chronicles 33, uh, God allows Manasseh to experience punishment, but it brings about something. And I I just want you to hear this. Uh, Chapter 33, verse 11 through 13, it says, Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria. And we've been talking Assyria is like the first world superpower at this time. And we had a map up there. And Judah's like this itty-bitty place, and Syria's like this monster place. And uh, it's pretty crazy, like, what's going on. And so they, they end up who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. It's interesting. Uh, we also talked about they dug up Nineveh in the last hundred years, um, the archaeologists. And so they've been finding things, and, and there's actually um, artistic representations of this process of people they captured. And it's just like a fish. They stuck the hook through the soft flesh and the cheek and out the front of their mouth, and that's how they brought him into town. So Manasseh had this done to him. That's what's going on right here. And when he was in distress, that would, that would do it. It takes a lot for some of us, right? <laughs> he entreated the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled, don't miss this part, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. It is never too late, ladies and gentlemen. It is not too late. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Have you ever run from the Lord? Hmm. I'm so thankful for his grace. 
It goes on in verse 14. It says, Afterwards, he built an outer wall for the city of David west of Gihon in the valley and for the entrance into the fish gate and carried it around Ophel and raised it to a very great, to very great height. He also put commanders of the army in all the fortified cities in Judah. And he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. So he had done this. He had built all these idols. And listen to what he did. And he threw them outside the city. We're going to come back to that. That sounds great, right? Man, good job, King Manasseh. We're going to come back to that. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices and peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at high places, but only to the Lord their God. It wasn't just circumstantial repentance. And what I mean by that, have you ever had this happen in your life? Maybe you can relate. I know I have. Like I've been in a crisis before, right? And, and so, you know, if there was a bronze hook through, I, that would do it. And, uh, and I end up crying out to God, right? And then, and then we've seen this over and over again in the Old Testament. As soon as things get going well, now I'm back to relying on who? Myself. And I kind of just forget that God ever existed. Until the next time I'm in crisis and distress. Oh, God, you know, help me. And thankfully, he's a God of grace and a God of mercy. But brothers and sisters, you are not supposed to live that way. I'm so thankful for his grace and mercy. I'm so thankful for it. Paul says, that's not a means to just go on sinning in the New Testament. That's what he says. That's not an excuse to just, oh, God's got grace. So I'm just going to keep doing what I do until I'm in distress again. And we're just going to play this game back and forth, man. Uh -uh. We're called to grow up into maturity, to grow, to grow. We've probably all been there. Life gets intense. And when it does, we're all about obedience and crying out. And things, and things we get good, we go back to our way instead of crying out to, to Yahweh. So Manasseh, Manasseh dies. That's what happens. He died. And Ammon, his son, became the king for two years. And listen to this. And did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord like his father. In verses 21 through 20, 24, Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as, Man as Manasseh his father had done. Ammon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh his father had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord, as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. But this Ammon incurred guilt more and more, and his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his house. And that's where we're entering the story today. So man, what a crazy moment, you know, of just... King Hezekiah, and last week, I know a lot of you missed that, there was this moment of repentance and turnaround, and the Assyrian army came down on Judah, 185,000 soldiers against this itty-bitty town that did not stand a chance. But because of Hezekiah's repentance and revival and the nation turned, like they woke up and the army was dead. That's what happened. God protected them. He fought their battle for them. And then we get these kings and, and this back and forth thing. And so we find this moment, and there's this king, and his name's Josiah. And we're going to read Josiah's story this morning uh, because it's awesome. He took the throne at eight years old. Eight years old. I got a 10-year-old and a six-year-old, and oh, wow, <laughs> like if they were president. Um, I don't know. It might be better. I, who knows? Um, I don't know. 
It might be. We'd all be building Legos, I promise you that. That's what we'd be doing. That would be a mandatory thing. But eight years old, um, in, ver- in chapter 34, it starts in verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, so now he's how old? 16, very good. So when he's 16 years old, while he was still yet a boy, he began to seek God, seek the God of David, his father. In the 12th year, how old is he now? Okay. I don't know. I'm just asking you. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> I can't do math. In the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and the metal images, and they chopped down the altars of the bells in his presence. And he cut down the incense altars and stood above them. And he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images. And listen, he didn't throw them out of the city. There's a difference with this king. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem and in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali and their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. (laughs) I don't know what you were doing between 16 and 20, but I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing this. Wow. What a moment. What a moment. And, And we're about to just catch a glimpse of this story that you, you wouldn't know if you didn't keep reading. He's, he doesn't have the word of God. He just has a heart for God. He's just seeking God. And he knows these things aren't the Lord. and so he's, he's doing all this stuff, and he doesn't even have the Bible. He's just seeking the Lord, man. He's just seeking the Lord. And at 20, he cleaned house, right? Idol worship is serious to God. And we have the same pull on us today. Maybe it doesn't have crazy words like ashram and bell. And it's the same stuff. We long for the same things. Our, our flesh just yearns for this stuff. And God will not be second, brothers and sisters. What are our idols? What are your idols? It was different then. You know, that's what we like to say, but it's really not. And we're on this side of the cross, man. We know. We know. And we have the word of God in completion. And we still, right? We still do this stuff. My way is better than his. Hebrews 2, 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. We won't escape. We have to have Jesus. That's the good news for sinners, right? That's the good news for sinners. Now, at 26 years old, we're going to jump back in this story. 26 years old, 2 Chronicles 34, verse 14. While they were bringing out the money they, they, had, they had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkah, the high priest, found the book of the law. So what had happened is uh, they, they were going to start rebuilding the temple. He wanted to fix the temple up, right? The remodel shows on HGTV. That's what he's doing, right? Uh, and uh, they got it at a cheap price, and so they're going to fix it up and make some money. No. Uh, they're trying to rebuild this because they want to bring glory to God. And so he, he sends message to uh, uh, Hezekiah, not Hezekiah, Hilkiah. Um, all the names run together sometimes. Uh, through, through his secretary, Shaphan, 
And so he goes and he said, hey, get the money and I want you to distribute it to the contractors and builders and all the, all the people who are going to be doing the work. And, and then just let them go buy the supplies and let's get this thing going. And you don't have to give an account because we trust you. You're, you're a man of trustworthiness. And so they, they do all this. Well, he's, he's going about this and he discovers the book of the law, which is representing the first five books of our Bible. We call it the Pentateuch. Uh, there's some other names. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay, And so they find it amongst all the stuff as they're going through. And so that's where we're entering the story. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, uh, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. See, I told you. That's what they did. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king all that was committed to your servants they are doing they have emptied out the money that was found. So like he goes up on the scene and says, hey, they're, they're doing all that you've, you've asked to do. And oh yeah, we found the Bible. It's awesome. So Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. Now that may seem really weird to you. What? But in ancient times, that was a response to absolute grief and mourning. And even though that's not something culturally that we do anymore, I want you to also know that was not something that was common either. This is a big moment and a big deal. Very similar to Pentecost when Peter's preaching and the people were cut to the heart, man. Like that kind of moment, just intense. And he ends up just tearing his clothes. And so he, he sends out word and he wants, to, he wants to hear from one of the prophets. And so he, he reaches out to the prophetess, Hulda. And, uh, and there were some other prophets, Nahum and Zephaniah were doing ministry at that time too, but he reaches out to her and she gave the king some hard news, man. She didn't back down, she wasn't afraid. And she shared what the Lord wanted to say. Second Chronicles 34, 24 through 20, 28. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods and, and that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out in this place and will not be quenched. But the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you, you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants. And you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back the word to the king. So they go. She says all this stuff to take back to the king. They take it back. And so, so what just, I mean, I understand what just happened, man. He just got the, the clearance, right? Like he's not going to have to experience all this stuff. And so he just ran away and hid because, woohoo, I, I got through. It's like I got to heaven. I'm not worried about anybody else. Man, I see that mentality a lot. Now, I got the prize, so I'm good. That's not what he did at all. That's not what he did at all. I want you to listen to this. He believes, man, and he believes that if the people will just cry out to God, that God's going to have mercy and do something. Verse 29, Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem 
And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. He read the Bible to them. That's what he did. And the, st- the king stood in his place and made a covenant before God to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart. This all sounds familiar right here all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Here here at Cross Plains, one of the things we talk about is God's part, my part, their part. Because you can't do anything about, you can't do God's part. We try sometimes. He does the heavy lifting, but you have a part in this, and so does someone else. All right? So, So King Josiah right here, he's doing his part. He's reading the word of God to the people. He makes a covenant before them, before God. He's doing his part. Now it's their turn, right? Um, So, verse 32, I think we're Yes, that's where we're at. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and and in Benjamin join in in it. And the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel. And made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Uh, this is huge. Um, because for, for the first time in 300 years uh, since Solomon, uh, God was worshipped by the entire nation of Israel. For the first time. They had fallen that far. And just this back and forth thing that we've been reading over and over and over again. And for the first time, and they end up having an incredible celebration. Um, it says in uh, verse 17 of chapter 35, And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. No pass- Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. That was a long time ago. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Woo! You talk about some revival, man. And it all started because somebody had a heart for God. And then they got a hold of the word of God and they read it and this novel thing happened. They followed it. And God showed up and did his part. He will do it every time. He will do it every time. Are you doing yours? Man, I hope I know, again, we talk about this a lot. I don't know how you feel about our nation and, and where we're going, whether you feel like we're sliding to a, a rough place or no, just in a rough patch. I, however you feel, I believe with all my heart that we are in need of a revival. We are, we are in need of a, a spiritual movement awakening of God, but it takes people to humble themselves and honestly seek God out. Not your own agenda, not, not to ugh, just anything else, but just to know Him and to love him like he wants to do something incredible in you, I promise. But we have to seek him. And I hope you're praying big prayers. We've been talking about that this year too. And asking God not to give up on us or our nation and move again because he's moved before in our nation. But I promise you something's coming. And, it, and we've said it. It's either going to be judgment or revival. Those are the only two things we see all throughout scripture. Every time. On every nation not just Israel. God will either bring judgment or he's going to bring revival. 
What are you praying for? Those are the kind of big, big prayers we need. And Josiah, man, he, he wasn't, we'll, we'll just read it, right? He did, he did great things, but like he got prideful right here at the end, verse, uh, chapter 35, verse 20. After all this, after all this stuff, like, you know, he's feeling good, man. God's been good to him and some things have turned around and it's awesome. Uh, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, the king of Egypt, was actually going to whoop on Assyria. That's what they were doing. They were going to fight them because they were like, hey, we can, we can take them. We want to be the world power, right? And so they're doing this thing. It had nothing to do with Israel at the moment. And he went up to fight uh, Karchemesh on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to meet him. He's feeling a little arrogant. But he sent envoys to him saying, what, what have we to do with each other, king of Judah? I am not coming against you this day, but against the house with which I am at war. And God has commanded me to hurry. Cease opposing God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. That's not how you pronounce that. Yes, yes, that. My southern twang kicked in there for a minute. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am badly wounded. At the end of the year, we're going to come back to that place I can't pronounce. We know it as Armageddon. It's pretty interesting. We'll get into that later. That's a whole can of worms. Josiah dies at the ripe old age of 39. And he did some great things. But in the end, man, his pride got the best of him. Oh. And went out and tried to do battle with Pharaoh, the king of, king of Egypt. And God used Pharaoh, and he's speaking th to him through this, and he, and he won't listen. So what? That's our big thing. What? So what? what is, yay, there's an ancient story in the Bible where all this stuff happened. What's it mean to, you? What's it mean to me and you? Um, I, I, hope, I hope that we recognize that darkness, sin, however you want to frame it, is our default setting. And we must acknowledge it, and we must fight against it constantly. And, I, you know, we talk about fighting a battle, and, and the Bible's very clear. We fight spiritual battles. We do not fight against flesh and, and blood. And, and we have to answer the question every day, who is going to be your God today? Every day. Because I promise you, your flesh, the world, and Satan will not rest. They won't rest. And we can't either on that front. That's why Romans talks about being a living sacrifice, dying to yourself. And you need help with that. That's a cry out to God. And I'm, I'm telling you, that's a daily thing, a part of my prayers, you know, just, and I hope it is yours too. We have got to acknowledge that sin is our default setting. We're going we're gonna to fight against God naturally, and we need God to help us not do that. So we got to recognize that. Secondly, we got to choose who we're going to serve. And I know it's easy to have this one-time salvation moment where, where Jesus did something, I felt guilty, and I responded, and he freed me of the guilt and shame, and it was awesome. And then it's like, I chose Jesus, and I'm done. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, I don't think you're ever done until you breathe your last. I think you've got to wake up every day and choose him because of what we just said with number one. Our default setting is to, to, to go back to sin. We've got to choose who we're going to serve. Uh, God's constantly call, calling you to himself. All the stories of scripture, uh, you may be like, oh, I'm so tired of hearing this repetitive thing because we're repetitive. We do the same thing over and over again. And God's telling us to, 
to mature into Christ. The New Testament talks about stop being tossed back and forth by a wave. I don't know if you've ever been in the waves uh, in the Atlantic versus like the Gulf. <laughs> a little different. We almost lost our son one time. He wasn't even close. Like Elias was just sitting there on the beach, and all of a sudden this rogue wave comes up. And, and we're like, ah! You know, we rescue him. He's okay. He's back. We're not supposed to be tossed around like that when we're walking in faith, if we'll mature. But, but while we're still infants and children in the faith and we don't move on to maturity, man, something comes along and rocks us. Sometimes it's gas prices. Somebody pulled out in front of me. Political stuff. World culture stuff. And just shakes us to the core. And not, now we're all struggling and our heads cloud because we're not doing the simple things that God requires, which is to humbly walk with Him, to be in the Word, to know what it says, and to actually do it. It's really not super complicated. It's tough, but it's not super complicated. We have to choose Him. And what does revival look like? This story right here is what revival looks like. God has mercy and sends revival. It's a spiritual movement of God. It's not political or anything else. It is a spiritual movement of God. And God calls and uses key leaders in it. And, and that takes courage, man. If God's calling you to do some big big things and step out on faith. And man, I, I hope that you have the courage to do so and respond to that. It usually starts with a new generation, man. You read all the stories in scripture and a lot of the stories that we have just in, in, in the world that have happened, like usually a, a new generation that's seeking is what brings about revival almost every time. Um, it starts with a love and a fear of God. It has to be evident. Um, and it has to be a significant number of people and really all that is, is, is I love the Lord and, and, and having that heart like we talked about that David has. And God's word has to be central. You don't get to make up your own version of this stuff. You don't get to create. I mean, the New Testament talks about people following a false Jesus. It happens. I hope it's not happening to you because that's a real thing. And people like take little snippets of scripture and they create a new truth and a new movement. Man, we got to stay grounded in the word, folks. We got to know it. You got to be in it. You got to love it. And if you don't love it, then start asking God to help you love it, right? Because we need His help with everything, with everything. Christ, Christ crucified is our ultimate leader. And He tells you to pick up your cross, not your sword, unless we're talking about the sword and the Bible reference, but your cross. Because He says, You got to come to the end of you i got to come to the end of me. Christ is our leader. And the only alternative to revival is judgment. And I'm telling you, one of those two things is going to happen. It's happened every time all throughout history in every nation, in every culture. It's going to happen. I don't know when. That's up to God. But I hope His people are praying big prayers because the last thing, and I want to always draw you back to this, God is in control. And He raises up leaders and He gives mercy. And you got to pray. you got to pray. And you got to pray big revival prayers because we need revival. And it starts with you and I. We're going to have a baptism here in just a, just a minute. And, uh, but before we do, um, I just wanted to end the service today uh, with some big prayers. Uh, just thought, hey, let's, let's just do it. You know, We talk about it all the time. Uh, let's do it. Let's have some, some prayer time together. And uh, I just want to encourage you, if you feel led to pray, fire away. Um, and then when we're done, I'll close this, and uh, we'll, we'll go back and, and get the youngins and 
Miss Avery's going to get baptized today, and that's awesome. That's such a great thing to celebrate, um, and we're going to do that. But uh, uh, if you're able to, you don't have to. If, if, if your prayer posture is sitting or you want to kneel or stand, I'm going to stand. If you want to stand with me, you can. Uh, it's really up to you and the Lord. Um, but we're just going to close with a time of prayer. And so if you feel led, uh, I just want you to pray. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm just, I want to pray some big prayers, man, for some spiritual awakening, for revival, for, for God to get back at the, to the place in my heart and in your heart where he's king, where he's the king, where he's my Lord and I'm doing what he actually asked me to do instead of my version of things. Let's, let's stand and pray.